If you have your Bibles today, you can open up to the book of Titus chapter 2. And uh, we are going to be continuing our series where we are walking through the book of Titus. And uh, we've spent several weeks in it today. Uh, chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Uh, for those of you that haven't been with us, Titus is a short book in the New Testament that is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Titus uh, on the island of Crete. It's this island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. The gospel has been preached. People put their faith in Jesus. Paul moves on to preach the gospel in other parts of the world, but writes back to Titus, who is left on the island, saying, hey, here's some instructions of how to take these, these believers and establish a a healthy church. And uh, so we're looking at Titus. What does it look like to, to be a healthy church? What are some of the doctrines or practices or leadership structures that lead to a healthy church? Our tagline for this series is gospel truth leads to godly living. We find that in the very first verse of the first chapter. And then we see it throughout the entirety of these three chapters is that when the gospel takes root in your life and uh, you are growing and maturing in understanding the truth of scripture, that it always produces a changed lifestyle that it leads to godly living, that the gospel uh, doesn't enter someone's life and then leave us unchanged, that it, it makes a difference and impact in our lives. And so uh, we desire to be a community, to be a church where uh, certainly we share the gospel and we receive the gospel, but we want to be a community that encourages each other towards holiness without crossing into legalism and, and comparison and judging. But we want to be a community that says, hey, we truly believe that when the gospel impacts our lives and faith is stirring inside of us that belief always dictates behavior. So there will be behavior change. We're going to grow in godliness. We're going to grow in holiness. We're not going to stagnate. We're not going to stay the same. We're not, not going to look for excuses to justify our behaviors. We're going to say, what does it mean to grow in holiness, to become more and more like Christ? And so we're walking through that. Uh, we finished up chapter one last week, and we're going to start in chapter two this week. Uh, we're going to read together right now verses one through seven. And, uh, and then we'll go back and uh, make some observations and some applications out of it. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can read along. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Uh, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Similarly, Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. We're going to pause there. Uh, we're going to walk through these seven verses. And uh, last week we talked about how sometimes our faith is made stronger through strong rebukes or reprimands. You guys remember that? Uh, well, today your faith might get stronger. Let's just say that. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know what I, if I knew what I was getting into when we started going through Titus this time around, because uh, there's like some really hard stuff to talk about. And we just read it, and now uh, we don't get to skip over it. We get to talk about it. And uh, uh, all jokes aside, I really do believe, as we talked last week, that sometimes, and actually oftentimes, what is healthiest for us isn't always the easiest. And uh, we, we laid that precedence in what, what Paul was teaching through Titus last week. You want a healthy church? All right, we're going to dig into some of this stuff. Uh, so I'm grateful that today uh, our faith is going to be made stronger because uh, we're going to consider what it means to, to take these truths uh, seriously in our own lives and not just for other people to make this a healthy church, uh, but for our own lives. Uh, would you just take a moment with me? We're going to pray. Um, Lord, you're good. Your word is true. And uh, we bow and we submit our opinions, our desires uh, to Scripture. And uh, Lord, we thank you that today uh, we get to see that you love us enough to speak into the different demographics of life and the different challenges that we may face, the different temptations. And uh, Lord, we ask that today we would actually grow in Christlikeness, that we would be a community that grows in holiness because we're going to let the gospel truth come inside and develop godly living. Uh, we love you. We're so grateful. We, uh, we're open. We're receptive. Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage where we need to be encouraged. And uh, thank you for what you are doing in our lives and in our church. We love you. It's your name we're gathered. It's your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. 
You said amen. That was like a trick to make you agree with everything we just said, that you are going to let it come in. Uh, Hey, right here as we jump into verse 1, Paul says, as for you, Titus, which we have just, if you were here last week or if you look back in your Bible right now, we just finished this, this, uh, this, this portion, this verse, this statement that says some people are leading in a way and teaching in a way where what they're doing is, is worthless for anything good. Like there's uh, a claim of godliness, but the way that they're living, it's just, it's bad fruit, even though the, their words may be one thing. He says, but for you, Titus, you're not gonna be that way. You need to promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Uh, that you need to have living that is reflective of wholesome teaching. Again, this means that gospel truth, healthy teaching, will produce godly living. That, that gospel truth changes eventually, uh, progressively. This this word sanctification of there's this progressive, progressively becoming more and more like Christ. So he says, Titus, don't just like have good speeches and don't just attract people that like to hear what you have to say. That what we want to be sure is present in a healthy church is that the teaching is reflective as good teaching because it is leading to wholesome living, that it is affecting the way that people live. And then he goes on to say, Titus, the way that I want you to do this is I want you to start telling the people how they should live in a very much don't tell me how to live culture, which is where we still live today. Titus, I want you to go tell people how they ought to be living in a culture where people don't want to be told those things. Can you imagine Titus reading this? Like they had so much fun sharing the gospel. All these people are hearing the good news of Jesus. Like this is exciting. The church is growing. Paul takes off and says, okay, now Titus, now that I'm gone and you're there, I want you to start telling the older men things that they need to do differently and start talking to the older women in your community and the younger men and the younger women. He says, I want you to tell them these hard truths. I'm not there, but it's on you. Like uh, this has got to be really hard for Titus. Like Paul, you couldn't have stayed for this part and then taken off. Like you want me to tell these people the ways that they should be living differently in a culture that doesn't want to be told those things. This is not maybe the fun part, but Paul's like, we are not in this for the fun part. It's not about gathering crowds. It's are we developing healthy churches and healthy community? The goal was not, Titus, how many people can you get to listen to you? The goal was not how many services can we have and how many people can we cram into a room. The goal was that there would be teaching that translates to transformed living. And the teaching, it's not just the, the communication, it's the gospel. Gospel truth leads to godly living. That we have a desire and the reason we exist, our vision statement is to see the lost found and the found anchored in the hope of Jesus. That absolutely we will share the gospel. We will tell people the good news, the hope of Jesus. And we will be a people that says, and we're going to grow in godliness. We're going to, from receiving the gospel, we're going to let it take root in our lives. And we're going to be people that are are anchored in our faith, that are not deviating and waving and tossed to and fro. That we're going to be solidly rooted in the scripture and the gospel truth will lead to godly living. And then as we're going to look at today, he goes into detail with different demographics of what embracing a lifestyle consistent with sound doctrine should look like. He talks to older men first, then older women, then younger women, and younger men. And he has some things that are similar for all of them, but then he has some specific challenges for the different demographics, meaning that different demographics face some different challenges, some different obstacles, some different temptations. Um, And so Paul says, Titus, you need to speak about that to each of these demographics. Before we dig into that, what I do love about this, just on the surface, we take a broad scope of these seven verses. um, We can recognize that the vision for the church was to be diverse. In a very patriarchal community uh, in in time and history where it was all about just the older, more established men, uh, this is a diverse vision for the church. And I I just love this, that there is this communication from the beginning of this church that Paul is telling Titus, um, everyone matters. Men, women, old, young, everyone matters. That you need to train and teach and challenge and speak vision and speak purpose into everybody. I wanna tell you that um, this is the heart of God for the church and desire we have for Anchor Church is that we, we are diverse in age, that we've got men and we've got women and we've got older, we've got younger, that all know their value, their purpose, the place and role and contribution in the body that God has designed for them. I love that we see that everyone matters. Uh, now we're going to start with, as, as uh, we jump into verse 2, the first demographic is older men. Now, I think maybe we need to pause and define who's older and who's younger. You know, let's, let's just, let's get uncomfortable right here. Um, who's older, who's younger? Because uh, you, might, you might be in a season like, well, I'm not sure, I feel like I'm this, or I'm feeling more like this. Um, some of you, you know, <laughs> you know where you're at. 
But we're going to draw this line to that. Uh, we're going to draw the line at 35 years old. This is why we're making this. I'm not trying to box you in. Don't, I, don't get mad at me. I'm, I'm 37, okay? I'm in the older. Uh, and so we're, we're going to draw the line there. Psalms 90 verse 10 says that uh, God gives man 70 years. And so this is what we're basing this off of. I'm just, just shooting stuff off right now. 70 years. So to, to make a, a line in the sand, we're going to go halfway. If you're under halfway, you're younger. If you're older halfway, you're older. And uh, so 35 is the line. Uh, let's say under 35, you're younger. Over 35, you're older. If you are exactly 35, you're the only one that gets to choose today. Like, it's just, <laughs> you decide. Which uh, puts me in the older category, which we've had more conversations lately. Like, I think, I think I'm getting older. I think this is, I'm feeling older about this. I, I saw this meme this week. There was a, a doctor looking at these reports and uh, the, the man across from his patient, obviously, uh, was sitting there and the doctor is looking at the reports and says to him, um, actually, there's nothing wrong. You're just 40 years old now. <laughs> I was like, oh man. So I don't mean to box you in. If you just want to like rebel and you don't, you don't want to be labeled as older or younger based on 35, that's on you. And we're going to learn from all these demographics anyway. We're going to talk to the older men, meaning above 35 years old first. This is what it says to the older men. It says, teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Now, we could spend a ton of time on these. We're going to try to be brief uh, so we can hit the other demographics. But it starts with exercising self-control. Older men are to exercise self-control. Um, not just have self-control, but exercise it. Exercise meaning that progressively growing stronger. And when you exercise something, you're going past comfort to stretch it a little bit more than it was before, meaning that when it comes to self-control, as we progress in age, we're not supposed to be finding like a, a, a line where like this is self-controlled enough. Like we're always to be growing and exercising and stretching. And maybe like we compare ourselves to others. We feel like I'm pretty good. I'm pretty controlled. I've, I've got some discipline in my life. We're never to stop exercising, to continue to stretch and grow. What areas in my life could there be greater self-control? We don't stop because we're older or because we're more established or we found a routine. Uh, we're more stable. We continue to exercise, grow in self-control. It says be worthy of respect, meaning... We don't have to demand it. Older men should be worthy of respect and not have to ask for it. Because I'm this age, because I have this experience, you should respect. No, we should be living in a way that is worthy of respect. It says live wisely. Again, this isn't just being intellectually smart. This is being thoughtful, not being impulsive with the ways that we feel. We're, we're considering the impact of this decision in my life or using these words or this investment of time or money. Like we're considerate of the impact of this decision. It says to be sound in your faith. Older men, know what you believe. Be growing in your knowledge of scripture, knowledge of truth, growing in doctrine and holding tight to it. That older men need to be sound in their faith. It says, filled with love and patience. Not like have a measure of or a dose of, but to be filled with love and to be filled with patience. This should define older men. Uh, some translations substitute the word uh, endurance there with patience. And uh, I think it's worth noting. I think it's worth looking at. That's uh, endurance, meaning as we get older, we don't stop running. We keep going. We don't coast on our faith. We keep engaging. We keep running. And older men are to not just run well when they're younger, but to finish well is what we're called to be. And I love that this is giving us a, a snapshot of what a godly man looks like. Forget what uh, culture says manhood looks like, what a real man is. This defines what a real man is. Someone who's growing in self-control, is worthy of respect, is thoughtful, and knows what they believe. They're filled with love. They're filled with patience. They're continuing to run the race. They're filled with endurance. Uh, this defines a man. Now, I think it's fun to look at those things and to be challenged by those, but I want to consider why are these the items that were called out for the older men? I think the reason these are called out is because the opposite of these must be challenges for older men. This is where the calling out part comes. Like, yeah, okay, let's try to be these good things. But to be these means that maybe it's a struggle, it's a challenge for older men on the other side. So what is the opposite of exercising self-control? Well, it's a lack of control of your fleshly desires. It's getting lazy in standards. I think this is saying that a challenge for older men must be um, relaxing 
on the standards of your fleshly desires. I think it's come in so many different ways. The desires of the body, the desires of the flesh itself, the lusts of the flesh itself. I think sometimes it's even food and diet and physical health. We can just get to a place as older men are saying, well, this is no longer gonna be a self-discipline, a self-control in my life. I think sometimes it surfaces as there's no control over the amount of time and energy and money hobbies begin to become a priority in life. Like there's no control of, of what it means to, to focus on the things that are most valuable, most important, and I think sometimes out of control in these areas. I think that um, this speaks to, as older men, the potential to say, well, I deserve to relax. Uh, I, I've done my time. Let, but we're seeing that there is no opportunity to retire from self-control, from exercising it, from growing in it. I think the opposite of this is not being thoughtful. I think a lot of this goes into the example of the next generation. Am I being a model? Am I being an example for the next generation? Or am I just doing what now at this age of life, I can do what I want, I can be who I want, and we're not considering the thoughtfulness of the example for the next generation. It talks about being filled with love and being filled with patience, meaning that um, it can be challenging for older men uh, to have patience. To be kind. I think that uh, grumpy old men might be a term we could throw in right here. Like grumpiness, uh, being on edge, being cynical can be challenging. That, uh, I think if it, we're going to talk about endurance, this means that the opposite is true, that older men, maybe it's challenging or uh, maybe we're more prone to just cashing in. We're just going to coast. You know, we, we've kind of done our time. Uh, that maybe there's not as much to, to, to contribute because uh, I've done that. I've been there. Now it's time to just do what I want to do because I worked so hard and so long to get to this point. I think sometimes maybe the way that this can surface is phrases like, well, if it was like it was back in my day. Well, in my time, it was like this. And uh, I just want to challenge you. If in your language, older men, uh, there is thoughts or words or expressions of back in my day or in my time. Um, I just want to challenge you with this thought. It is still your time. It's still your time. You're still here. Maybe it's not like it was decades ago. And maybe there's things that are difficult about it or challenging. And maybe there are things that were better back then. But it is still your time. It's not like you, you, you get to retire from your job and that means you retire from everything else. No, you are part of this body and it is still your time. There is still value, there is still purpose, there is still contribution, and maybe it looks different, but it is still your time. You are loved, you are needed, you matter to this community and you matter to what God is doing in Missoula. I wanna tell you, the young men of Anchor Church absolutely need to learn uh, to follow the example of older men. But let me say this to you, older men. The young men of Anchor Church need some older men that are faithful to the Lord and are faithful to being a part of this community and are people who are worthy of respect, are worth following. I wanna tell you older men, the young men need you to be faithful to the community. They need a model, they need an example to follow. Men worthy of respect that are not checking out and distant but are still engaged and available, that still matter that still have purpose, that still have direction for their life. Um, I love in the Old Testament, there's, there's so many characters to look at, but there's a guy named Caleb. And uh, Caleb, you may, he, he shows up uh, when the Israelites uh, leave Egypt and they're about to go take hold of the promised land. Moses sends 12 spies into the land to see what it looks like. Uh, t 10 of them come back and have negative reports. It's, they're too scary, it's too big, it's too dangerous. There's no way we can do this. And uh, they spread fear throughout the community. There were two spies that came back with good reports, Joshua and this guy named Caleb. And they said, yeah, it's gonna be wild, it's gonna be challenging, I don't know how we're gonna do it, uh, but let's go, let's take possession of the promises of God. And uh, they had faith and confidence confidence. But because there was so much negativity and fear that spread in the community, God said, uh, you don't, you're not going to go take the possession of the land yet. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation of doubt and fear uh, dies off, and then the faith gets to move into the promised land. And so uh, all of the people with the bad reports, over 40 years in the wilderness, they die. God allows Joshua and Caleb to live because they were people of faith. And then we find, uh, we find Caleb later in life. He's 85 years old in Joshua chapter 14. 85 years old, has spent the last 45 years wandering in the wilderness and then taking a going into battle, fighting for the promises of God. And at 85 years old, he stands up and he speaks up and he is right in the thick of it. And not just engaged in the work, he is believing and he is leading the younger generation to go take a hold of the promises of God. He's not saying,
saying, hey, I'm not going to enjoy it the way that you guys are going to enjoy it, so you guys go fight for it. He says, no, I've been believing, and I've been seeing, and I've been praying, and I've been contending for the next generation for the last 45 years, and no way am I going to check out and miss out on taking hold of the promises of God that the next generation gets to enjoy. At 85 years old, he's still going for it. I want to tell you, I just have a vision. The Anchor Church is full of men of God who are Caleb's that we've got Caleb's in our community that are saying, hey, yeah, maybe I'm getting a little bit older. Maybe I'm not really understanding the way the young people are doing things anymore, but I have been believing for God's promises for so long. I've got conviction and I've got passion for the days ahead. Yeah, let's go, let's clap right now, it's a good spot. What's it look like to have an army of men as we get older, we're just believing more. We're saying, I might be 85, but I'm still running. I'm still believing. I'm still praying. I'm still investing. I may not get to experience what the next generation is going to be able to experience, but I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to believe for it. And we're going to let the next generation take hold of the promises of God. What's it look like for that to be a vision for us as we continually grow older? We're still running. We're still believing. Let's transition to older women. Not old women, older women, okay? Uh, it says this in verse three, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women. Let's pause here for just a second. Uh, this is still what older women are supposed to do, but this is also the content we're gonna get for the younger women in a minute. This is what should be taught to the younger women. So uh, it says, these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands, then they will not bring shame on the Word of God. Now, I know there's a couple of phrases in there that may be challenging for today's day and age and culture, and we're going to talk about it in a minute. <clears throat> but let me start with this. This, this. this paragraph, these couple of sentences that we just read, would have been one of the most empowering, liberating paragraphs that women had ever heard. Because in this, this society um, that was very much the patriarchy, it was the men and the older men that mattered, that women were not allowed to be taught. They didn't get education. They didn't get spiritual education. And so from the get-go of this young church, Paul is making a very empowering and liberating statement saying, hey, you're not just focusing on the old and the powerful. You're gonna go talk to the women. You're gonna teach the women that they get to receive, they, they matter, they have skills and talents and purpose and they ought to be trained up and utilized within the church. This is an incredibly powerful statement and empowering statement that's being made. That these older women had been told their whole lives that uh, they were to be excluded. That they, were, they, they had nothing to add, nothing to contribute. And, and what is being said from the very beginning is, no, there is purpose, and I want you to go speak, and I want you to go teach the older women that they get to learn and they get to grow. So this is what you should teach them. Teach them to live in a way that honors God. Don't slander. Don't be a heavy drinker. And then says, teach others what is good. I love that the good teaching should always produce more good teaching. It's not just the person with the microphone. It's not just Titus. He says, Titus, you should have good teaching and that teaching should be taught and continue to, to, to be taught to others. That when we hear a message, when we hear uh, the text being spoken and, and trained up in it, that we also get to go pass it on. But what's also empowering is not only now do the women get to hear the teaching, it says, tell them that they can teach. This is a big statement. This is a powerful, empowering statement that they not only get to hear, but tell women that they can go teach other people. And then beyond teaching other people, it says train the younger women how to engage in godly ways of being wives and being moms, because that is a challenging dynamic of life to begin to figure out the first time or ever for the multiple. As you add kids, it just gets more and more challenging. So he's saying this, essentially, teach the older women who have some life experience to get in relationship with younger women who are going through some of those experiences for the first time and train them what it's like. Help them through these seasons of life in marriage, through womanhood, through childbearing, be there for them. What's it look like to have older women in a church community say, uh, I've been there, I've been through those things, the good and the bad, and rather than just staying with other people who have been through it and now we're past that season, what's it look like to intentionally engage with the younger generation who is currently or is about to go through some of these things? He says, uh, be there for them. What's it look like if older women sat down with younger women in our community and started talking about the challenges of parenting, of discipline, 
uh, of what it means to, to raise his child, these children, about creating schedules and routines. When in the world did you find time to sleep? I need to know these things. Like, how do we teach and train each other in these ways? How do you stay physically healthy? What's it look like to uh, make a plan financially in your home? What's it look like to deal with a grumpy husband at the end of a work day? How do you do it? Uh, how, what about meal planning? Or uh, I've had a baby and now hormones are out of whack and I'm dealing with postpartum depression. And like, how do we engage when young women are going through these? And we've got older women who have been there. We've got some older women, 35 plus in this room, and you've been through some stuff, good and bad. We have some in this, this room who have walked through some significant hurt, loss, we have several widows in our church who have walked through the ultimate loss of, of, of their husband's passing. We've got many who have suffered through miscarriages, walked through seasons of infertility, have walked through divorce, abuse, abandonment, anxieties, insecurities, and not that these are isolated to women, but women that have walked through these and young women who are currently walking through these things. What's it look like to be an older woman who says, I've, I've, I've gone through some of this, and instead of just learning for myself, what's it look like to say, this was hard, this was difficult, this was challenging, but now I have an opportunity to take this story of pain or this story of experience and I can now use it to invest in the next generation who's walking through this. So this is really important that older women train younger women. That will never not be distracting. <laughs> Other things that he speaks to the older women is slander and Drinking. He says, don't be heavy drinkers. We talked about this a little bit before, and I think this goes not just for older women, this goes for everybody, but it seems to be like in the church world, there's kind of like three demographics of, of drinking. It's like uh, abstain from it, we're just not gonna drink at all, or there's uh, the freedom to enjoy alcohol, and then there's drunkenness. And I think most of the church agrees that drunkenness is, is not an option, that we shouldn't go that route. So usually in the church, there's like, well, they're the, the ones that abstain and those that uh, uh, enjoy the freedoms of having alcohol and not crossing the line of drunkenness. The more that I'm reading scripture, the more I think that there ought to be another segment in here that goes between drunkenness and freedom to drink, and it's excessive drinking. Uh, it's the, another translation says, enslaved to too much wine. Meaning, we're not crossing the line of drunkenness, but there's a dependence that's been developed towards alcohol. I think that there just needs to be some consideration of, it, maybe the line isn't just, am I getting drunk? Because different people have gained different tolerances, and, and, and what, it, what is healthy should be the question. What is godly? What is Christ-like? What is, what is God calling me to do in this situation? Was that a bee or a fly? Or I saw everybody watch this bug fly by. Stink bug does not like preaching on alcohol. It's out of here. Never coming back. <laughs> And it's back. Okay, let's try to focus here. We can do this. We can do it. Uh, how do we consider what is the line of what is honoring God uh, when it comes to, to alcohol? And it says older women. Um, maybe this is something to consider. And again, I don't think this is only older women. But there is something to be said here that is speaking to the culture in this day and age that maybe we ought to be aware of. Of What, what is my relationship with alcohol? And what would God be calling me to do in that? Slander. Meaning that maybe, as an older woman, we can become more prone to look down and speak poorly of others. The people like that, that do that, that believe that way, that vote that way, that the, the others, them, those people, that lifestyle, or girls these days, and the way that they do this, and like, it can be easy to say, well, I'm gonna see things that I disagree with, that I don't like, that make me uncomfortable, and just go to a place of, of speaking poorly of, looking down on, and slandering. It's possible as an older woman to grow more comfortable about complaining and criticizing what is wrong rather than engaging in teaching and demonstrating what is good. Challenging the older women to not sit back and just recognize all that is wrong, all that is, should be done differently, and saying, okay, rather than slandering and criticizing and saying it's us versus them, what's it look like to begin to engage with and say, I have the ability to, to do something about this, that God, I've got the spirit inside of me, I've got love and I've got compassion, I've got wisdom, and I'm gonna engage with the younger generation instead of complain, what does it look like to be the example of godliness for them, demonstrating what is good? Similarly to the young men, I wanna say the young women of Anchor Church, they really need to seek the wisdom of older women 
But the young women of Anchor Church need some older women that are faithful to the Word of God, are faithful to this community, are faithful to resisting what it means to just grow into a stage of slander and just invest in the next generation. The young people need you. So older men and older women, I just want to say this. You matter. You're not irrelevant. You're not too old. We love you. We need you. We've been praying for more gray hair in this church. Uh, we need you. We love you. The success of this church and the sex success of us being a healthy church has to have older men and older women who recognize their value, their purpose, and their availability to invest in the next generation. We love you and we need you and we are building a church that outlasts us, but we, the older generation, get to do the building. And we're going to be some Caleb's that the, maybe the next generation Hopefully it's a much better church for them than it was for us, but we get to do the work. We get to participate. We get to give. We get to serve. We get to invest. We get to believe. We get to pray. We get to contend for the next generation. We're going to switch in just a second to the younger, but uh, man, I took way longer on that than I meant to. We're going we're, we're to come in hot for you younger because we got, we got le less time. Before we do that, um, we're going to take a minute to pray. And... Uh, if you are the older generation, over 35 years old, um, would you stand up right now? Putting some of you on the spot. Look at this. Sam, will you join me? Okay, you're not alone, older people. Um, if you are currently sitting, because you are the younger people, I'm going to ask you, would you stand and would you put hands on the shoulder of an older person? I know this might make you uncomfortable. Welcome to Anchor Church. Uh, we're going to pray over the older generation. And uh, I've asked Sam Boyd to come up and, and lead us. But I'm going to ask you right now, this is going to be a powerful moment where the younger generation believes in and prays for the older generation. Because older generation, these young people have hands on your shoulders. They need you. They love you. And we, we need your example and your wisdom, your integrity, and your faithfulness in this church. Uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for this older generation. Um, Lord, I, I pray that their ears are open and their hearts are, are filled with this message, Lord, that they might hear that uh, this younger generation who uh, has hands on them right now, uh, we need them. Yeah. Uh, we need them to, uh, to, to show up to realize that their life is, is not even close to being over, Lord, that they, they can have an effect, Lord. Um, I pray for uh, laziness and uh, dealings of their, their flesh, Lord, that they, they overpower those and they, they see that um, you are in them. You, you shine, Lord, and, and what you can do through them uh, in this community, uh, in this church, um, and in this world, Lord, is, is more than they can ever expect. Lord, I just pray that, that someone out there, everyone out there um, is changed by this. Uh, it might be challenging. There might be uh, times to, to sit in this and meditate on, on this, Lord. Um, but you, you are in this, and, and you, you will break through um, those challenges, Lord. And, man, the, what you are doing in this church and in this community is, is based upon these this older generation, Lord, I pray for the men of this generation to uh, to break through the laziness, to break through the the dealings of the flesh, Lord. Um, as a, as a younger man in this uh, in this church, I, I just say that we need you. Yes. Uh, we yes. need you to lead us. Yes. We need you to tell us um, how to grow in our faith and how to grow in our families and how to grow in our community, Lord. Lord, I pray for the older gener generation of women um, that they. They break through those um, fleshly desires, Lord. But I, again, I, we just pray that they hear that this younger generation of women need them. Yep. They need them yes. to show up. They need yes. them to teach them. They, yes. they have the questions. Don't, don't let them hear that they don't have questions. This younger generation needs everyone in this older generation. And we have the questions. I promise you we have the questions. And Lord, just let them, let them hear that. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for this older generation. Empower them, lead yes. them, grow them Amen. for all the days to come. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat.
All right, under 35, we're just gonna go in. We're gonna get this done. It's gonna be awesome. Younger women, the teaching that the older women were supposed to give is for the younger women. This is what the younger women needed to hear. It says, love, care for your husbands and kids. Be wise, be pure, do what is good. Now, I wanna be careful not to read modern debates into ancient text, uh, so we need to be careful with this. But it does have a few phrases that could be challenging for us in today's day and age, like submission. No one really likes this word. It says, be submissive to your husbands. Uh, first, we need to say that we can't bypass it. This has already been previously established as men be worthy of respect. Like we, we just need to lay that groundwork already. Submission. Um, this word, it, it means to have strength, but take the strength under control. A term that uh, makes it easier for me to understand is uh, the submission in wrestling. That uh, wrestling, there's someone who's got strength, who's got power, and another wrestler is able to take that strength and put it under control. There's a submission. Now, what is important for us to recognize is this does not say, husbands, submit your wives. This is not, uh, this is not doormat theology of just lay down and you, you just let the husband do whatever you want. It's not what this says. It says, women, you have strength, you have power, you have beauty, you have contribution, and you're gonna submit that. You're gonna bring that strength under control and use that in a way that is most healthy for the unit, for the marriage, for the family. And also, mutual submission is all throughout scripture uh, if we had the time to dig into it. It is saying we both have strengths and contribution, and we're not gonna just be bulldozers, but we're gonna say, hey, this is the way that I'm gifted, and I'm not just gonna let my gifting bulldoze what is healthiest. We're gonna put it under control, and we're gonna function in a way that is healthiest for the unit. Uh, it says work in the home or care for the home, another one that could be challenging in in today's day and age. I wanna tell you the heart of this message is that women have value and they should engage, they should bring their gifts and abilities to the table to contribute, to be productive. Um, for the younger women, this is not a statement that a career outside the home is off the table, but it absolutely is clarity that the home is the priority that caring for, investing in is the priority. And let me say this is no different than what we talked about in chapter one for men. Anyone who is to be, uh, esteems to be an elder in the church, that you pastor and shepherd the home first. This is consistent for both men and women, that the home is what matters. The primary, most important place that you care for, love, and serve is the home. That's not isolated to preparing food and doing laundry. It is the health and the care of the family unit. And I think that health and care for the family unit can look different in each home and throughout different times in history. Meaning this, young women, you are not less than if you have a job in order to care well for your family, if you pursue a career in order to care and love your family. At the same time, you are not less than as a woman if you lay aside a career path to do what is best to love and to care for your family. You're not less than if you've got a side hustle to try to bring in some income and to support the family. You're not less than if you've chosen a different path than somebody else did. And women, I wanna say that the young women who have chosen a different way than you have does not mean that they're less than because they're finding a different way than you to love and to care for your family. The problem is when you choose to live your life and spend your time in a way that is less than the healthiest way to lead your home. If it's the career path or the lack of career path that you choose and it's not what is healthiest for your family, that's a problem. It is, it is that you are choosing to care and love for your home well. Women, let me say this, you are not defined by what you do or you don't do for a living, but by who you are in Christ and your faithfulness to invest in the next generation. And whether it's biological or spiritually, you're using the nature and the talents that God has given you to care for the family. This is who you're called to be. Young men, let's go. Verse six. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Young men, we can't handle a very long list. <laughs> I'm older now. You guys, you young folk. <laughs> Live wisely. Again, living wisely means to be thoughtful, to be controlled. Living wisely means that you resist impulses as dictating your decisions. You're not letting impulse guide you, which to be honest, this speaks to every area that young men face as challenges, as temptations. You're not impulsive with the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes. You don't let impulse drive you. You live wisely. You're thoughtful. You're considerate of the impact of this decision. You, uh, you live wisely. You're not impulsive when it comes to your ambitions, your greed the image that you're trying to create of yourself or for yourself, it is being thoughtful and not impulsive. 
But I think the, the meat of what young people, young men need to hear is in verse seven. It says, and you yourself, speaking to Titus, you must be an example to them. Who's the them we're speaking of? It's the young men. Be an example to the young men, meaning they need this example in their lives. By doing good works of every kind, let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Be, a, be an example to the young men in the church because young men need developments in these areas. Meaning young men need to take their life and their faith seriously and responsibly, learn to start working for good at a young age, to be men of integrity, not when you're older, not when you graduate, not when you have a wife, not when you have a career. Right now, it's time to focus on integrity and taking your life and your faith seriously. I wanna to speak to the young men, but even the youngest of the young men. We've got some middle schoolers in the room right now. We've got some teenagers, uh, early 20s. I wanna speak specifically to you. First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 talks about, Paul says, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I made decisions like a child. I thought like a child. Uh, but then I became a man and I put the childish ways behind me. Like there was a transition from being a boy to being a man. And as this transition happened, the ways of childishness, the boyhood was put behind and I became a man and start living and deciding uh, like a man. What is important for us to recognize, and this is different in our Western culture today, is there was not this freebie season of a teenage years where you kind of get explore and do what you want and go be a frat boy. And then someday when you're older, then it's time to be a man. There's not a freebie season between boyhood and manhood. I want to tell you teenagers and in your twenties right now, it is a transition season to put the childish ways behind you. It doesn't mean you don't get to have fun and enjoy life. God gives us life and life to the fullest, life of abundance. But you don't get this, this freebie season of life where you have a decade or two to kind of do what you want, explore, experiment, have some fun, get some stories, and then someday I'll start becoming a godly man. It starts in your teenage years. It starts now as you're transitioning into a man from a boy. This is, this is the time to recognize that you are sowing seeds today that you will reap in the future. No matter how old you are, you are currently sowing seeds for good or for bad that you will reap in the future. That if it's sowing challenging seeds of, of just doing what you want today, you will have to reap a harvest of those in the future. And I wanna challenge you, young men, teenagers, early 20s, sow seeds today that you want to, you want to harvest the fruit of in the days ahead. And I would challenge you, ask some older men in our community right now uh, about the heartache and the challenges they could have avoided, avoided if they were taking their faith and their life and their character and their integrity seriously a little earlier in life. Older men, can I get an amen? Can I get some head nods so the younger men recognize there's some pain, some challenges, some heartache that could have been avoided if I would have taken faith and conviction and integrity seriously sooner. Young men, it's not that God can't do a work later in your life, but the decisions you're making today are dictating who you're becoming. That you are setting a pattern today for the kind of man you're going to be, the kind of husband you're going to be, the kind of father you're gonna be, the kind of employee or employer or business owner, and the way you're gonna handle your finances, it is all starting today. You don't just learn to be a faithful dad and a good example to the next generation once you have a child. You are making those decisions and those patterns and sowing those seeds to debt that uh, you're beginning disciplines of integrity in this moment. I do wanna take just another side note and say dads specifically, I know I have a heart for this being a dad. Um, it's easy to say this to the young men, but it's on us. We are the example right now that we're raising these boys. And if we ourselves are not walking in a way that's worth following, we, we start here, not just teaching them and training them, but we show the example of integrity, of faithfulness, of how to treat a woman. That if we're still dealing with our own battles with pornography, who are we to speak into the next generation about what they, how they ought to treat women? Like it starts with us. We're the example of what it means to grow in faith, grow in holiness, grow in generosity. The men were called to be the example to the young men in our community. And rather than complain and point out the problems, we be the example. Jared, I'm gonna ask you to join me. And uh, we're gonna wrap up with this one last thought and then we're gonna pray the other way around in just a second. The context we find this whole teaching in and the interaction between the generations 
It's not just Titus teaching these, but then we see teach them to live in community. That the context that all of this is supposed to play out is, is in the church. It's in the body. It's not just attending a church, it's being in community. One of our seven core values as a church is community. We say it this way, we grow best when? We grow yes. <laughs> we grow best when we grow together. It's possible to grow alone, but you're gonna grow best when you grow together. Older men, older women, you're gonna grow best when you're teaching, when you're showing, when you're thoughtful of the next generation. Young men, young women, you're gonna grow best when you're in communion with the generation that is older. That you, they are speaking, you are asking questions, they are they're invested in your life and you're invested in theirs. This happens in community. That a healthy church is not just listening to teaching and taking discipleship courses, it's being in relationship. It's being known, it's being vulnerable. And just as children are developed more by the culture of their home than they are by the instruction they're giving, it's, it's, it's how we are as a church. That instruction like this can be helpful, but we grow best and we develop best in culture, in relationship, in being with and around each other. We had a moment just a few weeks ago after church that was so special. Happened over here by uh, the prayer banner. We, uh, we had a young woman in our church named Gracie. And, uh, and we had Joyce, who is in the older generation in our church. And uh, they were both, a couple weeks ago, they began, they were, we prayed with them because they were both leaving to go to different YWAM bases. And Gracie was going to be trained by the older generation. And Joyce, the older generation, was going to, again, she's been doing this for decades, going and training the next generation. She's like the ultimate Caleb in our church. Like she is, she's not done. She's investing. She's gone through some difficult seasons lately. She became a widow in this last year and she is not done running. And we had the older generation and the younger generation both leaning into the future and the call that God has for them. And then we had a multi-generation of people surrounding them and praying for them and speaking into their lives and giving them money. And like, it was this amazing moment. And all of this is awesome. And I love Anchor Church, but it was a moment over there by that banner. It was like, this is the church. This is what it is. This is, this is the body. It is multi-generations that are running together and believing and speaking and seeing the value in each other and continuing this life of faith. It's the beauty of the church. We're going to finish. Uh, we're going to pray in a second. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray the opposite way around. The older generation is going to pray for the younger, and then we're going to be done. And what I'm going to ask you to do Instead of having a last song and we're gonna come up and close, we're gonna, we're gonna be done. And I'm gonna ask you to take five minutes to have a cross-generation conversation. Can you believe it? You're gonna to talk to someone young, might have holes in their jeans, and you're gonna love them. It's gonna be awesome. We, we need each other. And you're gonna to get to know each other's names. You're gonna remember them. Next week, you're gonna look at each other and you're gonna remember their names. And you might sit by someone who's 30 years older than you and it's gonna be awesome. We need each other. So we're gonna pray. Then I'm gonna ask you to have a conversation before you leave. And if it takes longer than five minutes, awesome. But get to know somebody. If you are under 35 years old, would you please stand? You guys are amazing. Young men, young women who are in church. Some of you raising children in the church. So proud of you. So proud of you. Older generation, above 35, would you stand up? I know we're a little lopsided here, so not everybody might get a hand on the shoulder, but we're gonna pray and Diet's gonna come She's gonna pray over. Uh, so uh, even young people, lay hands on each other right now. And uh, we're gonna take this moment and pray over the younger generation. And then we're gonna have a cross-generation conversation. Let's pray, church. Oh, Father, there is no better plan than yours. <clears throat> God, we just look with great anticipation, God, to the next generation.
We want to be a part of it, God. We see that you are active and you are being faithful to your promise, God, that this good news will go from one generation to the next, to the next. And we thank you, God, that Anchor Church is alive and well to do your bidding in this, God. So Lord, we pray, God, for these young people. Lord, I pray that first off, that you become their first love in their lives, God. We, We can't get enough of our whom we love the most, God, what we love the most. I pray, God, that their hearts would be um, ever in pursuit first of you, and then all the other things will come. That's what your word says. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you, God, for the young men and women that you um, designed well in advance before they ever came on to this earth, the work that you have for them. I pray, oh God, that we come alongside, this older generation come alongside joyfully. I also pray that our lives would be a testimony to um, the joy and um, that you bring, God, that the zeal should grow and not diminish in the old. God, that's what we want to pass on. We want to pass on truth, God. We want to um, love well, not just say what people want to hear, but to encourage them to follow the Word of God um, as they grow. And so, God, we are poised and ready. I pray that you ever draw us together, God, in unity, because the Word says by this will all men know that you are my disciples, your loved one for the other. And so, God, let our love be true. Let it be defined by the Word of God, not the world. And God, we will promise on this day to be committed to one another and to this fellowship so that we can um, perpetuate the kingdom of God, that it would grow well, and not just grow, but grow well. So we thank you, God, for this young generation, God. We have, we see it, and we have great hope, God. I love um, listening to them, and so young people, please know we do want to listen to you, God. Uh, we're not just there to speak only. We are there to listen, and then we promise we will give you the word of God, and we will do it with all of our heart. So thank you, God, for this church and everything that you have for it. We love you, and we commit to your plan in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a cross-generation conversation. Older generation, invite your friends. We need to even this out. Uh, Talk to somebody. We'll see you next Sunday.